Hi, welcome back. Today's topic is about things that can keep us going, um, especially when we're in a rocky spot in life. Um, Same disclaimer as always, that nothing in my podcast is meant as halachic guidance, so please always take your shilas to the right place. Okay, so this episode is mainly focused on the messiness in the world and how we cope with that. Part two is going to focus more on um, how to keep going in the face of more personal challenges. So I'll be honest, it's been hard for me lately personally, um, and I think it's probably been hard for a lot of us. I'm usually pretty open about my struggles with bipolar, mental illness, um, but it's always been hard for me to say openly when I've been actively going through something, um, even if it's just a small hiccup. Um, It's always been really hard for me to say that, and it's been hard even if I'm not sure if that's what it is, Um, but things have been hard for me lately, and I think a lot of it is just, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. It's very messy right now, and I've been having a hard time coping with that. In a way, it's probably a little bit strange that I'm 34 years old and I'm only now having this level of disillusionment. But, I mean, I have kind of historically, I guess, been very optimistic and believed in the good in people and that we all really want the same things. I think that it's true. I think that people do want peace and happiness and getting along for the most part, even if we disagree on what would get us there. But I'm kind of seeing that there's more to it than that, and I think that there is kind of a dark underbelly of a lot of things that I just haven't seen before. And, I mean, really, looking back on it, it comes in waves. Um, Obviously, what I'm sharing here is only from my personal experience, and I can't speak for anyone else, and I can't assume what other people are thinking or what their motives are. But anyway, feel free to accept what works here for you and discard whatever doesn't resonate. So going way, way back, um, when I was 14 years old, I watched Schindler's List for the first time, or I watched part of it. I couldn't really get through that movie, and it absolutely gutted me. Um, I was always that kid, even from you know early elementary school, who was terrified of anything that had to do with the Holocaust. I mean, anything at all. I would pretend to be sick, actually, on Yom HaShoah, Um, Holocaust Remembrance Day, just so that I could stay home and not have to go to school where I would hear something about the Holocaust. Um, There was actually a Holocaust survivor who taught at my school as a substitute teacher when I was younger, and I was really scared of her. And it sounds like a really sad thing to say, but I was terrified that one day in the middle of, you know, substituting a math class that she might randomly say something about the Holocaust And, you know, obviously she never did. That's not something that realistically would happen. But when you're, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, you just, you don't really know that. Um, And I think that as a grandchild of that generation of Holocaust survivors, the Holocaust really truly felt like a personal trauma to me. I would have nightmares about it. It really was a horrible thing to have to contend with, um, to know that there was that much hatred and that much, I guess, complicitness in the brutal attacks on your people. And, 
you know, as sad a thing as it is, when somebody would tell me when I was younger that, you know, with my blonde hair and blue eyes that I, quote, didn't look Jewish, I felt a wave of relief. Like, you know, the first thing I would think is, oh, maybe I could have, you know, hidden from the Nazis. And it really was that strong of a fear. And I didn't calm down for several days after watching Schindler's List. I was literally pacing around anxious and terrified and, you know, almost like scared to leave the house. And then when I was 16, um, I was in an English class and we watched American History X, um, which is another very, very powerful film. And again, I was terrified. You know, I grew up actually in a neighborhood that was predominantly black outside of the few blocks where there were also many Jewish families. And, you know, my sister and I were among the only white kids in the art, you know, the art classes at the local park. And I never felt unsafe. I mean, we all got along with each other and everything was fine. And I mean, we were pretty young, so maybe I was clueless, but I thought we were all friends. We all got along. And I think watching American History X was the first time that I really saw the undercurrent of hatred that does exist, at least in some places. And again, it really terrified me. I was scared to go outside. I was scared that maybe people really did hate each other. They really did hate me, even if I hadn't seen it. And the thing is, like, I've seen conflict, and I've experienced anti-Semitism, and, you know, I've, I've heard comments that people make about, you know, other groups, and, you know, I just, I guess, didn't believe how bad it could be that people could really, truly have such, I guess, I don't know, deep resentment or even hatred towards other groups. Um, you know, so growing up, and then also in college and grad school, I had friends who were Jewish and friends who were not Jewish, and... We all, you know, in grad school especially, I was friends with people from lots of different backgrounds. Jewish, Catholic, you know, people who, you know, atheist, white, black, Caribbean, Hispanic. My cohort had people literally from all over. And I was very involved in also the mental health recovery community and eating disorder recovery groups. Um, and those also had a lot of diversity in them. And we kind of, you know, we came together. We were united for, you know, getting a master's degree or keeping each other strong in recovery, um, you know, and I mostly felt accepted. And listen, it's not like I never experienced anti-Semitism on campus either, you know, because I definitely did. And, you know, I also knew, and this was really hard for me, that I knew with certainty that even though certain things that were said or done to me wouldn't fly for a second if they were against somebody of a different group, I knew that the administration wouldn't do anything about it done to a Jewish student. And, you know, it's just, it's a sad thing, but, like, I just, I didn't know that, I don't know. I think if you've experienced that kind of dynamic, especially on the college campuses in the U.S., you have an idea what I mean by that. Um, and it wasn't just from the students. There was also, you know, from faculty and from on-campus work supervisors. I had... Um, you know, I was kind of loaned out for the day to another department to help clean out an office. And I did, and I worked hard, and I was very proud. I got the whole thing done within a few hours. I had all of their filing cabinets reorganized and moved out a lot of stuff. And the um, the head of the other department told my supervisor, who then thought it was a good idea to tell me, you know, oh, Naomi's not 
you know, like she, she's not like the other Jewish girls, you know, most Jewish girls just want to get paid and do nothing. And I felt just so sick to my stomach. Like, how could you, like, and it was a compliment. It was meant as a compliment. And then, you know, when I also, I had, um, my clinical internship for mental health counseling at the end of the year, I did all of my placements in the same place. And towards the end, I was helping, you know, restructure the way that we did intake. And I trained everybody else in like how to do the notes when, you know, new students would come in, um, you know, master's level interns. And, you know, when we were going over my final evaluation and letters of recommendation for employment and my supervisor told me that, I was one of the strongest interns that she had ever supervised. And, you know, oh, and to think that I almost didn't hire you because I was scared that your religious faith would get in the way of your ethics. I mean, again, it's like she meant it as a compliment, but it put down my people. It put down my faith. It, you know, like I was good because I wasn't like the stereotypes that she assumed. You know, so I've experienced those things, and I kind of, I guess, wanted to chalk it up to cluelessness. You know, another one was in an art class that I took at the college level. It was um, actually a curriculum, like a teaching, like building curriculum classes, whatever. We were doing this art project, um, and the teacher was encouraging us to use this um, old Native American symbol for peace. That's how she was showing us. And she was encouraging students to put this in their art projects. Well, that symbol is better known as the swastika. And I knew I couldn't say a thing. I, you know, and some of the students looked at it like, huh, like really? And, but nobody said anything. And, you know, I, I knew I couldn't say anything. Like, of course I couldn't say anything. So I didn't. And I, you know, I didn't put it on my project, but it's just like these things, you know, sometimes I would leave campus feeling just helpless and sick, but I would mainly just move on because, you know, it's a few incidents here and there. And even though sometimes it is too humiliating even to vent about it to anybody because it just, I, I don't know. It just, you know, it wasn't anything. It wasn't my guilt. It wasn't my shame, but it was aimed at me and it just felt horrible. But mainly, like I said, things were okay. Um, but then came the first big wave of, I guess you could call it, the social justice warriors on campus, which, you know, it was the first time since I'd started college. I'm sure these things have been going on for years. Um, you know, whatever. We don't need examples on that, I think. Whatever. Um, and suddenly there were a lot more assumptions about me based on my faith and religion. And, you know, I still had friends. Um, so this was, you know, 2012. Um, you fast forward to 2020, so I've been off college campuses for a long time, thank God. Um, you know, friends that have taken classes recently tell me it has really gone downhill. You know, I was still, I'm still in touch with some of these friends. And as of last year, I was in touch with more of them, even though it had kind of settled into more of like the background, you know, we've all, you know, grown up, you know, got married, have families, some of us, you know, people take different paths, but it's more of a social media keeping in touch. Um, the 2020 was the first time that I felt different to the point of unaccepted in America. And this year, it's just only continued to get worse. You know, I learned back in 2012 to keep my mouth shut, especially, you know, when I was at that internship. Um, and 
you know, I, I don't say what I believe in groups where I, I pretty much know it won't be accepted. So a lot of these people still don't even really know where I stand, um, even if they assume it, um, whether they're right or wrong in their assumptions. So I'm 34 years old, and this is the first time that I'm seeing people who I truly believed were my friends, seeing that maybe they never really were, or seeing that they've turned on me and turned on my people. And, you know, you you look at history, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Like, no longer am I the exception from their stereotype that they believe. It's, you know, and it's not everybody. It's really not everybody. I think, you know, I have a a few people still that I really do believe are friends and allies and would stand up for me, you know, the people who would hide me if it came to that. But um, to see so many people blatantly post things on social media that, you know, in the name of whatever good deed they believe that they're doing that are calling for destruction of the Jewish people, seeing that they see me somehow as the enemy just for being Jewish, it's terrifying and it's devastating. You know, like I said, I've always known there was anti-Semitism in the world, and I've experienced it from time to time, but never from people that I thought were my friends. And this is also the first time that I've begun to worry for my actual physical safety in America, the first time that my husband and I have had discussions about, you know, is it safe for the kids to, you know, wear their yarmulkes outside, you know, certain places that we go. And that's a terrible thing to have to contend with. And, you know, looking around at the larger picture, you know, outside of Jewish America, there's so much divisiveness and hatred. And, you know, I count myself as blessed that I can't understand that level of hatred, but it's been terrible to watch what looks honestly like the breakdown of society in a way. So, you know, and the thing is, there are some genuine bright lights And there is some goodness even in the mess. You know, there are people who are fighting the good fight. And I think there's many, many more people who believe they're fighting the good fight, even if it's, you know, a little misguided on both ends. But, you know, overall, it's just the whole thing has been a real challenge to cope with. And I think that when that challenge is layered on top of my already existing mental health struggles, it's just lately been sometimes feeling like too much to handle. So topic of this podcast. What gets me through it? You know, what are some things that can keep us going in the face of a really messy world? So for starters, you know, like I said, I can only speak for myself, but I left the majority of my social media groups and I unfollowed the people who've been posting hateful things, um, things that, you know, they probably think are, you know, social activism and, you know, whatever, you know, and I know that I'm not going to change their mind about anything, and there's a lot of people out there trying to educate the world. It's just not something that I'm cut out to do. I don't have that. I don't have the stomach for conflict and tension like that. But anyway, so that's number one. I I limited all of, you know, social media, news, and politics. I stay out of all of that conversations. And, you know, I've also limited how much I read the news. And, you know, if I do read something, I'll just, you know, take a deep breath and try to, like, settle the emotions as I go through it. But, you know, the main thing, and, you know, it might sound trite, but I really, really mean it, um, is prayer. I have no idea what God is doing with his world. 
but it is very obviously out of my hands. And all I can do is raise my family in as peaceful an environment as I can and pray, 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 and teach them to pray. Um, and usually the prayers go something like, Hashem, I don't know what your plan is exactly, but there's still some good left in the world, so please save things before even that good is stomped out. And it's kind of bitter, like it really is, but, you know, that's kind of where I'm holding right now. It's very hard. Um, and I personally don't concern myself with the whys. You know, it's never been the way that I relate to Hashem or spirituality in general. I, you know, of course, we all need to learn and increase knowledge and, you know, but what I mean is that I don't tend to demand answers for why tragedies happen, for why there's war, for why there's these kinds of conflicts. You know, if it's nothing that I can practically do, it's not something that I necessarily need to understand in the same way. Um, you know, obviously basic knowledge is important, but knowing the inner workings of what God has in mind, first of all, I don't think that anybody can really know. Um, but mainly I connect through the idea of, God, this is, this is on you. This is your world. You fix it. <laughs> I don't know. And obviously we all need to do our part as individuals and as a group. But in the end, only Hashem decides if we succeed. So, you know, doing our part is up to us, but the outcome of that is up to God. And letting go of that sense of control, you know, as if there's really something I can do, as if, you know, holding on to, you know, sometimes when you're trying to, I don't know, it almost feels like you're trying to will the world back into place. The whole thing, even, you know, doing anything, any activism, any anything, it's it's all kind of an illusion in a way and letting go of the idea that the outcome is in my hands or anybody's hands that's been freeing it's obviously not perfect and like I said it's been very hard for me lately to deal with everything that's going on in the world um, but I do feel like a lot of the bitterness of it has lifted from me somewhat uh, mainly now I'm just very very sad and I'm very scared of what's coming next and prayer has been my main way of coping with it. Prayer and also working hard to build a warm, peaceful world within my own home. Um, because my own home is the only part of the great big world where I actually can make a great big difference. So I hope and pray that the world and all of the people in it find hope and healing very soon. Like now. Um, I personally think that at this point we need a miracle. And the good news is God makes miracles all the time. Um, so that's what I have for today. And I hope you'll come back next time for part two.